Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recruiting is No Joke, Episode 9. Obviously, you guys know I joke about recruiting and how hard it is, uh, but it's really no joke. Recruiting really is challenging. So I am super excited today. We've got uh, two great guests. I'm, I'm used to just one great guest, but double the fun today. We have uh, the Video Health team and uh, their Series A uh, funded startup based out of Boston. So uh, super excited to have you guys with us. So why don't, why don't you both introduce yourself um, and and if you just let us know who you are and then how you got started in recruitment. Um, and then everyone who's out there, say hi, let us know in the chat where you're coming from. And if you've got questions as well, we'll, we'll get to those. But uh, go ahead, guys. Why don't you, uh, Peter, why don't you go first? Sure, I can, I can definitely go ahead. So I'm uh, Peter Petrov. I'm the head of talent and people at Vidare Health. Um, previously to that, I was a talent purist, meaning that I have HR competencies. I've served uh, as an HRBP, pseudo HRBP, but I've never really owned HR before this venture here. Um, and I'm going to keep it brief. So my story was I was very early on an RPO recruiter uh, working with General Motors in the global, I can't speak like global electrification group. Uh, and uh, after that, I spent about three years in agency and about seven years at tech startups. I pivoted away to them in 2017, stayed there since. Uh, some of the more well-known ones I've been at are Salsify and Clayview, really amazing companies uh, that are um, on IPO tracks uh, and hoping to do the same here with a healthcare uh, play, which is really my first time as a full-time operator in a healthcare tech company, which is exciting. I think it's very mission-driven and it just feels great. And that's that's a bit about me. <laughs> awesome. And who do you have with you today? Yes, and I am Natalie. Um, I've been with Videa now for almost three months. Um, short little scent there. I have kind of an interesting story on my end. Um, I actually started in the nonprofit world working as a social worker. Um, then during the pandemic, decided, hey, I think there's ways that I can really help other people in different ways and found myself at a recruiting agency. Um, was really loving that. You know, it's really special to be able to help people get jobs because it's something everyone needs in their life. And, you know, from there, I, I was able to connect with Batar through, you know, past experiences there. Um, my philosophy is really, you know, you have to find what motivates you. Um, and for me, it's really the people and the mission. Um, and so I found that here at Videa. And, you know, we've been working together to really help build a strong and, and really terrific team here. No, I love that. I love that. So, Natalie, I'll ask you because obviously you're, uh, I don't want to say newer to the industry, but, you know, you are. So what was the biggest, I guess, surprise coming from, you know, social work to recruiting? Like what, what was the biggest shock for you? And especially that agency recruiting world. I'm, I'm curious about that. You know, it's funny. You would have, I, I thought from the get-go that there were going to be a lot more differences, um, but really it's people management, right? People can be really unreliable, um, but they can also be really, really great. So how do you uh, create scenarios in which you are trying to project the best outcome. So there are a lot of similarities in terms of those skill sets that you have there. Um, you know, making sure that you are being really transparent and honest and direct in your forms of communication, I found have been um, equally helpful across both fields. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. What are, so talk to me a little bit about, um, obviously, startup life, 
tech startup life. Everybody, I think, well, not everybody, but a lot of people, I think, have different ideas of like what life actually looks like. I know I have a lot of recruiters reaching out. Hey, how do I get started in tech recruiting? How do how do I get start started at a you know a startup? So what, I'd love to just kind of hear both of your perspectives on you know what startup life is really like, and particularly. Um, you know, trying to attract talent and trying to recruit people, like what some of those challenges are that maybe people don't think about when they're thinking about startup life. Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, and Natalie, if you want to go for a second. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think the really great thing about startup life is that there's always a million different things to do. And so if you were the type of person that really likes to jump into the fire, um, you will get exposure to a lot of different things, not just recruiting, but you kind of get to see the whole picture and how things um, fit together to really grow a, a really great company. Um, so it's, you know, for me, it was something that was really attractive is being hands on in a startup, watching something grow from the bottom up. Um, you know, I, I think are some of the bigger things there, you know, I would say you had mentioned also, like, if you're interested in tech recruiting versus other types of recruiting, you know, it's definitely different strategies. I've had my hands and experience on both sides. Um, and I think tech recruiting is its own kind of ball game, right? It's um, a lot more outreach and you have to really almost learn an entire new language if you don't have that technical background to really be successful. Um, and I think that's why Pitar and I make such a great pairing because he is really like one of the best tech recruiters I've ever met. Um, and being able to understand, hey, how do you build a strong team based on those skills? Um, anything to add to that too? I would say for me, startups, I think are really special and it sounds cheesy, but I, I've declined offers from uh, fan companies before. I've always just wanted to interview to see if I can actually receive an offer from one of these places. Uh, but uh, really, uh, my heart is in startups. The way I would describe startups and how they feel to me is really pure and genuine uh, and relationship-driven, meaning that we're so far, we're 32 employees now that like I know everybody, and it, it feels sort of special. Uh, and, and those like really kind of cool like people like bonding and relationship building moments are what drives me and why i've been doing this for seven years at these like really high growth fast-paced environments uh, one example uh, very generally from yesterday is uh, i made a post uh, where our director of sales and i took a uh, picture well not actually took a picture of us a polaroid picture of us just kind of hanging out and this was our second day in the new office and it just it sort of felt special mm -hmm. to these like milestones moments and memorize them uh comment like i guess we could recognize them but uh it, it is definitely tough and challenging because of uh like every week like you are pushing uh very like stringent uh, funnel sizes uh you have to outreach to more people because you don't have the brand recognition but i think it's also part of the beauty of building and really um you know like worrying uh, about people's gaps and growing together as a team versus a very large company where it feels super siloed, meaning like I could very easily work at a big company and be really good at my job, but I don't think I would really get any joy out of that yeah. simply because I wouldn't have these uh, essentially like relationship building and bonding moments with other startup employees. Uh, it is chaotic at times, but I think it's also like part of the beauty of it all. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Recruiting is No Joke. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Bright Hire. 
The old way of hiring just doesn't cut it anymore, and my friends at BrightHire are here to help. BrightHire is the leading interview intelligence platform for improving quality of hire at talent-first companies. Their technology records and transcribes interviews and creates a set of highlights you can revisit and share to streamline the process, improve the candidate experience, and give teams better information to make the best possible hiring decisions. If you're looking to improve your quality of hire and reduce bias in your hiring process, visit brighthire.com today and let them know Joel sent you. Now back to the episode. Thanks again. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm, I'm curious, obviously you guys are in an office and you just mentioned that you know, you've got to a new office. Now from what we're seeing on you know, the Artec team in particular is that it is extremely challenging um, with tech talent to you know, entice people to get in, come into the office essentially. So like how, how are you, I guess, how are you doing How are you finding talent locally that are willing to come into the office and like, are you flexing there at all? Like how are you working those schedules? Like, I'd just love to hear a little bit about that. Well, of course um, I can actually add some code and uh, Natalie can chime in. So we essentially have not had that many issues attracting folks uh, who want to run a hybrid model, which is, was a surprise to me. I was under the impression it would be far more difficult. My previous employer, Takeometrics, was uh, fully remote the whole time I was there, but that was 2020 to 2022, was there for two years. I was expecting way more challenges and pushback from engineers, but what we're actually finding is, at least in Boston, uh, almost like a level of like a need to connect with people where most people, when I tell them we were in a hybrid, uh, the answer I get is we absolutely like want a hybrid model that is pragmatic and flexible, meaning like I've worked up to a week fully remotely. Uh, it was not an issue at all. Uh, so we do run a hybrid model. Uh, we are pragmatic about it, meaning we're not like absolutely stern about, hey, wait, no, you need to come into the office. Most people typically come in on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but some Tuesdays are pretty empty. What I've noticed is uh, such a healthy like desire to connect as human beings on Thursdays when our all hands happens that our office is always fully packed on Thursdays. So from my observations, and this is my first time actually doing a hybrid uh, play, I was always like in these like super in-office cultures or fully remote. I, I kind of love it uh, because you get the best of both worlds where you can work majority of your week at home and you're like a really nice setup. Like let's say you have a huge screen or like your mechanical keyboard, whatever really nice things that they make you happy from day to day. But I think the human connection has actually helped us not receive too much pushback from software engineers. Uh, we actually have a gentleman named Justin who's sitting right outside of our room. He comes in every day. He just really enjoys being in an office environment. So I think there's these, I think there's outliers, of course. There's outliers of folks that are fully remote all the time. There's outliers of people that want to be in office like really all the time. But uh, hybrid seems to kind of work for us at this point. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead, Natalie. I, I would agree there, you know, coming from a completely remote culture myself before, I've found that having kind of this dual sort, typically everyone who is in the Boston area is in office Tuesdays and Thursdays. I feel like it gives you that push to, um, you know, that energy of having people around. And, you know, I had mentioned earlier that one of the things I really look for in, when joining a company are the people and, and the mission. What are we doing? Um, and I found that everyone on our team really, truly shares those um, values and 
what is important to them, what they're prioritizing, right? Especially in a startup, because it is so small, you really get the opportunity to meet and get to know every single person on a deeper level. And having that in-person connection is really made it, it's almost like a benefit for myself, which I've really enjoyed being remote, but I don't think I could ever go back to being 100% remote after being back in the office like this. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense to me. I think, you know, I worked fully remote for the past eight years and, um, like, I, I think what you're saying makes complete sense, right? Like there is something to being around people. And, you know, I, I, I think like the way that you guys are doing it in terms of, you know, you mentioned a couple of times, like that flexibility, right? Like it's not something that's in stone. To me, that's what the issue is. You know, it's like people don't want to be told like, hey, I've got to come into the office five times a week and this is the rule and you've got to make up excuses if you, you know, want to get some personal stuff done. But I think if you run it in a way where you create an environment that people want to come into, that they are enjoying being part of the team, you guys obviously have a great culture as well, everybody's mission aligned, then yeah, they, they, I can see why people would want that. But I, I think what can happen is it's when these mandates come into place where, okay, this is what we're going to do and there's no flexibility around it. So. So I love that. So I just want to, I want to actually just jump to, uh, we, we did get a question as well. So I, I want to get to that, but I just want to say hi to a couple people in the audience. We've got Anna's out there. We've got Sean, Esteban, Jay, great to see you guys. We've got Val in there, Val in there Kate, um, Asia, Christina. So great to see all you guys. And then Deborah had a question. So I think this is um, a question. And I was actually wondering the same thing. She says, are candidates from high performance companies easy to recruit? Obviously we know they're not, uh, but like, I guess, how do you, um, she says, how do you energize hiring and overall marketing? But like, I'm curious too, like when you don't have that brand recognition that maybe you do from bank where everybody's obviously applying, like how, how do you guys, um, you know, I guess compete to, to attract that high, you know, that I guess high performing talent, like what, what are you guys doing to, to kind of uh, counteract that, that brand awareness there? Of course, I would love to answer this question. So the first part is no, they're not easy to recruit. And I think one really interesting thing with software engineering recruiting is like high performance cultures or high performance companies could mean two different things to different companies. Uh, the way we actually approach it here is it's pretty simple. We try to target folks from uh, similar startups, meaning the Clayview, the Salsify, or uh, companies of that kind of Series D at most stage. Uh, and um, we've hired some people from Wayfair, for example, Justin, who's wonderful. He's, I, I think I'm becoming a good friend with him. He's, uh, he's just so great to hang around. He actually had experienced the startup before uh, and was really longing for this like building environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I define building uh, as in like really having extreme ownership of things. Natalie, for example, owned our whole office move by herself, which is Fantastic. Like, hey, moving is no joke. So, uh, <laughs> well done. Catching up on my sleep here. <laughs> to, to answer the question very concisely, it is difficult, uh, very difficult, but you have to find patterns uh, of like, hey, this person is now at Wayfair, this person is now at Google, but they were at one point at a startup. And you have to find a person that's longing for building again. Uh, and then it becomes fairly easy and simple where the person absolutely wants to do this. Uh, they understand like, yes, it's going to be chaotic. We're going to build some wonderful things. We're going to iterate and ship software way quicker uh, than building a widget button for Amazon.com, for example. Uh, so I think the way I actually sell the opportunity is very much based on a couple of things. I would say the values and 
more important even beyond that is the idea of building or like what is motivating the engineer to consider this. Uh, and I think the way I've been successful at attracting talent from large high performance companies is really understanding that at the phone screen, like almost vetting people out and understanding like this is not a good fit for this person. Let's let's be honest with them and end it here uh, to both save both people the time, uh, but also to just to show them like, hey, what is building like? And I think people get very energized by down state like scaling. I mean, I myself was at a 315 person company take a metrics. For the first week, I was a little bit shocked. I was like, wow, like I downscaled a lot. Uh, by by week two, I was just having so much fun. Uh, so and you, can, you have other levers to pull if you are a very early stage uh, recruiter. Like, for example, we are funded by Spark Capital, which has funded Twitter, Swag, uh, some other amazing companies. Uh, we also have Pure and uh, some really good VCs. So I think the way you would sell without the brand recognition is to find another index point, meaning either like, yes, you have great VCs, you're in a sunrise industry, or you find what really drives and motivates that person and you kind of index. I like to use the term anchor. You anchor onto their desires to build and you're very genuine with them about the state of the state. You almost have to practice radical transparency. Uh, for example, we don't have a dedicated DevOps team. Uh, everybody that's screened by me as a software engineer knows this. Uh, it's not a big shock. I think where early stage recruiting can go very awry is if people take it too casually or skim over the minute details, like mm. communicating, for example, there's no DevOps team. But yeah, the, the levers I use the most are our VCs. Uh, they're fantastic. Um, we also just have a really interesting product that's early stage, which is exciting to people that are driven by complex, maybe technical problems. Yeah, you know, to add on to that, and I also see Kate's uh, comments as well, I think across the board, really nailing down what motivation or what is kind of driving this person, what are the things that are most important in making this decision for your next job? So are you someone who's motivated by building? Are you someone who, you know, maybe is not in person and you want to kind of try a hybrid model? Are you very passionate about, you know, helping out in health tech and creating something that's really going to revolutionize an industry that has been longstanding, you know, figuring out what is most important to people and then making that kind of the focus um, throughout the different conversations. You know, if you were to tell me, Joel, hey, money is the one and only thing that really matters. How did you know? Then <laughs> sure that throughout the steps, just yeah. as much as we are, you know, really trying to screen out and make sure that you are a good fit for our company. We're also like, hey, how do I sell Joel on, you know, the things that matter most to him um, and making sure that that's how you're bringing people on and showing them the value um, now and future value as well, staying at the company. Oh, awesome. And, and I think too, you know, when, when you find people who, when you understand their motivation, obviously, like you said, you can then not just about bringing people in necessarily then you can say hey maybe this isn't the right opportunity for you as well which i think you know we talk about canada's experience we talk about you know why people sometimes don't have a great experience with recruiters sometimes it's just recruiters aren't onto that quick enough to say hey you know what based on what you've said this isn't an ideal fit and obviously that's tough when you've got to fill positions you've got to fill roles but you need to fill it with the, the right people so uh I love that. What a, one thing you mentioned a couple times um, is transparency, and I, I know that 
think I had someone on the podcast a couple of weeks ago from Zapier, and they they were talking about transparency a lot as well. Uh, but like, I guess in terms of like messaging candidates and and kind of like initial reach out, um, talk to me a little bit about how you're transparent, like with just like messaging and and kind of reach out with with candidates if if you can. Of course, I can definitely chime in there. I want everybody to know the stage, meaning it's a Series A company, a true Series A with a fund that was recently raised. I also want them to understand, like, like where we have gaps. Like, we don't have a DevOps team. If that's something that is important to somebody, they need to know that upfront. So I think that transparency is uh, serves two purposes. It, it absolutely is something that I live by, integrity, honesty, transparency. But it also really helps you as a recruiter because you understand why, why somebody may opt out. And now you, like, understand how you can even prioritize hiring or like, hey, maybe we should hire a DevOps engineer. We've had five engineers that said this was very important to them. It was something that was uh, a deal breaker for them. So I think uh, the messaging has to include a couple of things, uh, the staging of the company. I sometimes even include fund uh, fundraised uh, amounts uh, for people from larger companies. So I would pivot my messaging dynamically based on my targeting. And I, I, I really only recruit off of a targeted company list, not Boolean strings. Mm. Um, the purpose for that is we have a very high power uh, for talent here. Uh, we have folks from nearly every every Ivy, not saying that that's the only way to see talent. There's definitely one of the most intelligent and brilliant front-end architects I actually know does not have a college degree. Uh, him and I overlapped at Southway, but yeah, you can essentially you have to kind of shift the messaging based on either people's educational background, the companies they're at. But I think you should always include the basics like uh, funding stage, size of the team is very important to engineers. Um, I'm sure all, all of us as recruiters get that question all the time: is like, how big is the engineering team? That's like the first question that usually I get when I turn over um, the uh, the baton for questions to engineers. And I do uh, something very interesting that some recruiters do not do. I actually like to flip the conversation midway through, meaning that I do not finish all my questions. I take a pause at the midpoint and I let the candidate ask their questions first. So I'm always guaranteeing that they get their questions answered before I dive in with the, some of the more mundane things that I like to ask at the end of the conversation. How about with with salary? I mean, is that something that you're bringing up like in messaging or I guess what, what point are you bringing up? salary maybe oh go ahead natalie you can answer and i'll go in oh i was gonna say sometimes with salary um other times i mean i feel like it, it's definitely addressed on the very first conversation you know yeah we're that we're getting a really good understanding of hey what is that number that's going to make you excited to move and also what is kind of your bottom line i won't move anything beyond this number to really get a, a great understanding throughout um, you know, really emphasizing that, you know, at the end of the day, that's not my decision um, there, but, you know, letting people know, hey, this is not within our bandwidth um, or saying, you know, I don't think you're a fit for this position because X, Y, Z. Um, but, you know, I, I think that quite often um, people put a lot of emphasis on salary and it's important, right? You shouldn't make a move for anything less than what you're worth. Um, but there are so many more things that go into a job and a company that should also be emphasized and, you know, have those conversations about them throughout. Yeah, no, I, love that. I remember one of my first searches I ever did on the agency side, I, I remember convincing somebody to take a pay cut. Uh, they were in a negative situation and, you know, I was like, hey, 
maybe you should take this pay cut and really sold them on the opportunity and they ended up leaving actually really quickly. So I, I think it's like, there, there is more obviously to work, but obviously that, that matters. So I love, I, I love that approach, but uh, curious to uh, someone, someone asked this and I'm always curious about this and just this market in general, but they just said, how are you retaining talent in the current market? And I'll add to that just a little bit, because obviously we're reading a lot about layoffs. Obviously there's some insta instability in the market. So has that, have you seen like an increase in retention or is that impacting even conversations you're having with people who are looking to make a move? Like how is the market impacting what you're seeing on both sides? Of course, I can answer this one. So as far as retaining talent, we actually do not have a turnover problem partially because we're so small uh, and also because we're so close-knit as a culture, uh, meaning we all trust each other, everybody understands. Uh, we have a customer success channel where the whole company sees if a bug appears, mm. which is extreme level of transparency I've never seen before the company, which I really love. Uh, and I, I think that that's really the way it's to be extremely transparent with like what is going on at the company. There's a lot of self-help books. There's some really brilliant ones out there. Uh, about really getting companies from zero to an IPO. And really all of them uh, highlight extreme transparency as the reason why places like Okta have succeeded. I am a firm believer in that. Uh, so I, I think the way we've really retained people is to just be blatantly honest with like what is ongoing with go-to-market strategy, like what needs to get addressed immediately, and which is very clear goal setting and roadmap planning. Uh, and we share everything at the all hands. Uh, anytime there's an offsite with the executives, like the whole employee base will actually see a, a executive summary of uh, like actually the planning and so on. And I, I think that really helps retain people. I At least I know I personally feel that uh, things are going fantastic here, but at past companies when things were not going so great, I've appreciated the transparency because I knew how to lean in and help even beyond my recruiting capabilities. I've done anything from my customer support to IT administration in the past, which is fun uh, to me. It's wearing a different hair. But yeah, I think just the way to retain talent at least this early on is extreme level of transparency, uh, ownership, and really trusting people to help you solve problems versus like hiding and like putting the problems away. Yeah, you know, to add directly to that, I really believe that company culture comes from top down, right? So if you have a really strong leadership team, um, that that kind of trickles down throughout the company. You know, Qatar gave a great example of how, you know, even when the executives will all go and meet and kind of plan for the next quarter, every single person at our company gets a great overview and insight into this. And even, hey, here are the challenges, here are not. Um, one thing at Bidea that I thought was extremely special um, and, you know, for other recruiters that are on, watching right now, and if you can maybe get your CEO to have this buy-in or whoever the hiring manager is that you're working most closely with. On my very first day here, it was myself, a uh, machine learning engineer, a business development representative, and a VP of customer success. So all different levels all different areas of the company. And after we kind of had our company overview, Florian, who is our CEO, pointed to each of us and then explicitly said, Natalie, you know, during our conversation, I liked X, Y, Z about you. Mm. I see you bringing these things to our company and helping us grow in these ways. And I also know that you said that these are your goals and these are the ways that I'm gonna help you achieve them. 
right? So getting that immediate buy-in, showing that, hey, as a person, you have value here. And that can be communicated throughout the organization. You know, Batara is my direct report. And throughout the day, we're both managing one another throughout and being able to have that, hey, you're doing great here. You know, if you have questions, how can I support? Making sure that it is, you feel as an employee that you have, um, are bringing value to the company makes you want to stay there. It helps you build stronger relationships throughout. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. I, I love that. And I think that's a power too, like with startup organizations or smaller organizations, being able to interact with leadership in that way is unique. And obviously it, it does make a huge difference. Uh, I love, I love uh, that piece about transparency as well. What, what about in terms of like recruiting, right? Like you're out there, are you, um, like how are you kind of battling this idea right now of like economic instability and like are you seeing any impact with candidates that you're interacting with that are maybe saying hey look i, I want to stay put right now the economy seems to be all over the place linkedin news is doom and gloom uh like how how are you i guess overcoming that those challenges with candidates if you're seeing them of course i can actually i mean on that uh I would say we're really early on. We recently raised our round, which is essentially like we don't face that as much as other places who have burned through their cash as a startup or um, at a like later stage. So right now, uh, for people who do not know, uh, fundraising is very difficult beyond Series B, probably nearly impossible unless you have really good EBITDA and financials Series C uh, through D. Uh, so we really don't have uh, too much like fears from the employee base in terms of uh, the recession and we've actually head on addressed it with all hands and just really ch get push checks with people how they feel about it i did it very informally i just would approach an employee and ask them how they actually feel about the conflict in ukraine for example or the just the volatility of the stock market um and unfortunately i think with linkedin uh, the algorithms do push forward more negative news than positive i, I have this thinking system. i don't know if that's just linkedin i think that might just be the news in general but yeah for sure yeah you know i think when talking to people as well you know like we kind of mentioned earlier really understanding what is their main mode driving them to make this decision um if they are really worried about you know, making a jump, feeling like, oh, I want to wait it out. I want to stay at this job that I feel like maybe I don't like that much because I took the, made time to answer the phone with you, but I'm also not hating it enough that I want to risk it per se. Um, you know, maybe it's not the right time for them. And there is another candidate who will say like, oh, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. This seems like a great group of people. You guys are working on really cool things. Um, so, you know, it's not the right time for everyone. And, you know, I think having those in-depth conversations to really work through, hey, what are you really worried about? How can we help, you know, at least answer your questions so that you feel like you're making this decision very well informed. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's if someone's feeling like, man, the recession is coming, I don't want to take a risk. Yeah. yeah. Sucks for you, then you're going to miss out. Of course. And to very quickly chime in to uh, really yeah. uh, answer concisely, uh, I do see that a lot, especially uh, I have a quite a big, big network at this point from having hired hundreds of engineers across three like really great companies. Uh, the great companies would be Salsify, Clavio, Techometrics. Um, so I actually see that quite a bit from friends of mine that have worked at Salsify, which is super stable IPO stage. 
uh, like I've had coffees with a couple of people just trying to get them interested in Videa and they said, gosh, like I just had a baby, Peter, like it's just not the right time to switch jobs mm -hmm. regardless even of the recession uh, fears. So I think it's uh, a person's reason to change jobs is so highly contextual. Like, for example, mine was simply to build. Uh, I had four other offers when I was joining Videa and didn't really even think about any of the other ones that seriously. Uh, so I tend to think that... Uh, Human behavior is slightly erratic and like it's so highly contextual, but I do agree with you, Joe. Like there's definitely a lot of recession fears. I see it on LinkedIn. I see it from people I've either mentored or really friends, colleagues in the space. It's it's really sad and it actually drains me quite a bit. Uh, that meditation post I made was about me really being kind of, I don't know, like feeling down that day and uh, just not liking what I was seeing uh, on LinkedIn or in the news. Uh, so I think it's always good to be mindful and to take a step back and just say, like, this is happening, but, like, what can, what can I control in this given moment and how can I actually make myself feel better? And for me, that is just simply recurring. I still love hands-on contribution and I kind of dive into my work and try not to pay too much attention to the layoff news. Same. No, I love that. And... Quick question for you too. I mean, obviously you've been in recruitment for uh, in tech recruiting for you know coming up to a decade. Uh, what what have like I guess some of the fundamental changes that you've seen just in recruiting tech talent? Like it just seems like it's gotten like more and more competitive as time has gone by. I hear it all the time from our tech team. You know, that's recruiting tech talent. Like, hey, it's it's hard. You know, the emails aren't working as well. Emails are saturated. So, I guess what what have you seen change and you know, even just for like tech recruiters that are joining the industry and are fresh in the industry, what advice would you have for them? Like, what are some tips that you've picked up over, over the last decade of recruiting in the space? Of course, I can answer this one. So as far as the um, the beginning of my career, feels, things felt a little bit more transactional and people were more open to just taking interviews. I think the pandemic has made people uh, a bit more apprehensive of just simply interviewing for interview's sake. Uh, or interviewing without very terrible reasons. A very terrible reason would unfortunately be them getting laid off or like quashes with their boss or just company downturns and stuff like that. So definitely we've seen a pattern of changing over the decade of people used to, in my opinion, in 2013, take interviews just to interview and say, hey, is this a better opportunity? And then they would often stay. I'm seeing more and more people just really interviewing for things that are important to them, like people, culture, uh, the problem they're solving as an engineer, I think, has become phenomenally important to majority of people. I jump on the phone. I'm often asked very deep, uh, complex questions about how our computer vision and AI works, like how the annotations work, like what is the value add to the dentist. But yeah, I think generally, I guess, like high level, I think that people have become more resistant for from just interviewing for the sake of interviewing and seeing is is this better than what I have, mm -hmm. and they're looking for some very tangible things like people, culture problems that need to be solved uh, and prioritizing those. And if like you cannot capture somebody's attention with an email uh, to at least like get them on the phone, like I think you, you're in trouble. Uh, and tips for uh, more junior recruiters is to really thoroughly read LinkedIn profiles. I never mass message, meaning I never bulk message on LinkedIn. I review every single profile looking for patterns, things that they can actually use to customize the message. So I think customization is powerful and you can see patterns from people's profiles. The, the patterns give you the places they've worked. Um, you can even review their GitHub. I'm somewhat competent in reading code. Uh, and 
sometimes I had like cheeky comments about like, what is this like Git repository over there? Like it's, it's kind of, <laughs> what is this? And then people actually respond even if they're not looking for a job and get kind of a joy out of like me asking that question. Mm-hmm. And I've become friends with somebody from kind of poking fun of their GitHub repository. So I think some of the tips are to just be always highly customizing, especially if you, if you're an internal recruiter, um, the volume is high, don't get me wrong, but it's not like you're email blasting, like, always be thorough, always review people's profiles, try to look for patterns that you can use to, and of course I use canned messaging, uh, but I do weave in uh, two yeah. sentences that are always highly customizable. So that has uh, really been helpful in keeping my response rates high, um, but they are definitely lower. I think my response rates were at least 10% higher. I, I track these, I'm a, a bit of a data nerd. Um, but yes, they're definitely like 10% uh, lower than maybe 2015 timeframe from what I'm seeing in my spreadsheets. I reviewed them before I jumped on this call. So it's definitely not easy. And I, I, one thing I really uh, think is important for recruiters to win is resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's the idea of like, yes, not every single person will be interested. Let's try to find that next profile. And if um, if there were misses, I always go back and do retros, which is the idea of like retroactively looking at as to like why this offer to the best of my knowledge. Of course, we often operate with not enough data, uh, but yeah, just like kind of circling back and looking at what went wrong is really important uh, when a hire is not made, just to understand how to not only avoid it, but improve as an individual earlier on in your career. I used to do that uh, one year into my career where every single time I had a rejected offer. I tried to really get to root causes, what caused that person not to accept. Man, I love it. You're a wealth of information. And I love, uh, I don't know, I just love the approach of it too. And I think, uh, you know, that, I mean, I think that is the challenge nowadays, right? It's like you have to scale, reach out, you've got to have it personalized. But what definitely does not help is just bulk messaging without really looking and like making it about whoever it is you're trying to reach out. And that goes across sales, recruiting, whatever it is, like you've got to make sure that like you've, you've looked at the profile. So uh, man, just such great advice. And Natalie, I'd love to hear your take on this as well. Yeah, Joel, I'm going to give you one of my um, secrets. Oh, okay. All right. I'm listening. You know, I, I definitely agree with Batar. I think that having something customizable you know, whether on LinkedIn, you can see a lot of people write their interests or, you know, maybe if you are familiar with a company that they used to work with. Um, But a a lot of times people just leave their profiles pretty blank. You know, you don't get a lot of things that you could really comment on. So what I found has really worked very well is at the very end of the message saying, P.S., I'm planning to take a trip to wherever this person is from. What do you recommend I do there? And even if they are not interested in the job, they will always respond back with being like, hey, not interested in making a move at this time, but while you're visiting, you should definitely check out X, Y, and Z. I always get that no back or a, hey, I I might actually be interested in hopping on a call. And then I also get a plethora of recommendations for traveling as well. Um, and I found that that's something that people really like to respond to. See, now the only problem is, is now like every engineer is just going to, they're going to have that at the bottom of the, they're going to be like, yes. everybody asking me where I should eat. No, I, I love that. And I, I heard that recently too. Like, uh, I think I was listen, listening to like a sales podcast and they were talking about like, even on the phone, if you catch someone like 
kind of like switching the focus and like just talking about something, you know, asking a random question just like that can really switch the focus. And then they kind of even forget like, oh, this person's a recruiter. So, and, and again, like, I think when you're reaching out to people for the first time, we're all trained just to say no. And we know in recruiting, you know, I just, we just had somebody who accepted an offer with Hirewell. Um, and this is somebody who, you know, six months, eight months ago, they turned down an offer. Uh, but we, you know, kept in contact. I'm obviously making social media posts and we kind of kept top of mind. And now eight months later, they're ready to make the move. And I think it's that long-term vision of like, hey, it's a relationship. A no today could mean a yes tomorrow. It could mean a yes two years, 10 years. So um, I love that. And if you can start the the conversation that way, I think that's great. And I think it's it's a unique way. So I really appreciate you sharing. Well, Guys, I know we uh, were up on the time, so I, I really appreciate both of you. I think there's so much value here. Um, I, I always leave this uh, this last just kind of question here. If you were to talk to somebody who, um, you know, is really junior in their career in recruiting um, and they're thinking of, you know, is this the right position for me? Is this the right field? Uh, I think we've all been there, especially early on where we're like everything's going all over the place, like, you know, is this the right field for me to be into? What advice would you give to somebody um, in that in that place? I love this question. Uh, I can start. Um, I think recruiting is a very people-driven business. So the best advice I would give to people is like, if you enjoy connecting with people and really worrying about people with amazing hobbies, building really amazing and powerful pieces of software, like absolutely technical recruiting and in general recruiting is the right fit for you. Um, and I wanted to, I really love the question because I have actually been able to achieve quite a bit with junior teams. I wanted to actually give a shout out to Carly Sheriff, uh, who was a very junior person with no recruiting experience that I mentored at Take Metrics. Uh, her and I were actually able to scale the company from 90 to about 130 people, like within probably four months. Wow. Uh, so I think when, when, you, when you look at somebody uh, when they're early on in the career, like, Sometimes they might actually be one of the more performant team members. That happened again at that same company with a gentleman named Arun. Arun was such a high performant recruiter that he actually hired 15 account managers in a month. Uh, so the best advice I could give to more junior folks in their careers, believe in yourself, you're powerful, you can do this. Uh, and always seek a mentor, seek somebody that's willing to help you and and be honest with what you need to learn. I've noticed that both from Carly and Arun, they're such phenomenal recruiters. Uh, when I was leaving that company, I even said, like, these are probably my two best team members, which is amazing. And they were within one to two years of their starts of their careers. And I'm seeing something very similar with Natalie, where she's actually punching way above her weight of understanding the logic behind recruiting, which is really hard when you haven't been in the industry before. Um, and also, when you when you find a mentor, ask them about like their gaps. So when you're getting mentored from somebody, I have gaps. Like I'm absolutely not perfect. Uh, I would the best advice I give somebody getting into this field is find a mentor that's maybe like a decade into this, uh, and ensure that they're also still hands-on, so they can give you like uh, pro tips on like how to get stuff done. Uh, beyond that, I, I think recruiting is still an amazing. Uh, like career, uh, I do not want to pivot. I know some people want to pivot hands off or pivot to a completely different industry. I just still think it's so amazing and I'm still absolutely in love with a decade inwards. Um, but yeah, I would say just uh, find a mentor, also uh, understand your gaps, uh, 
do retrospectives on like the early career misses when you didn't make hires and try to grow. I think uh, growth mindset uh, is sounds cheesy and it's, I think, overused sometimes, but it's really necessary for a recruiter. They have to understand that nothing is ever going to be perfect. You're working in a, often a chaotic environment with these wonderful people that are dependent on you. Don't let it be heavy. Uh, don't let it weigh you down. Trust in yourself, trust in your abilities, and, and just keep going. Yeah. No, I, I would say exactly everything that Ty said. I'll also, you know, end on this for you, Joel. Um, like I mentioned at the start of our conversation, I made a career change, um, took something completely different. And for me, I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the tech industry, even though I have zero tech knowledge and, you know, was definitely a learning curve. You do have to have that growth mindset to really understand things. Um, but, but the really great thing about recruiting, you know, whether you're in an agency or in-house is you get a really huge learning opportunity and exposure to all different areas of an organization. So maybe you start in recruiting, but then you decide, hey, based on my personality and, and the things I like to do, I think I would be a better fit for a customer success role or for a sales role. Mm -hmm. um, or you know, discover you make a lot of really great connections as a recruiter. So it can also kind of help you get your foot in the door in other places. You know, I, I don't know if I would have gotten a job here had I not had this connection that I was making through recruiting. Um, so, you know, whether it is something that you decide is a, like a forever role for you, or you're just like, you know, like you said, a junior person that's trying to figure out, hey, is this what I want to do? I don't think you can ever go wrong with recruiting because there are so many advantages to being in this type of position that will only unlock doors for you, whether you decide to continue this path or to change directions in the future. All of that. Yeah, well, anyone who is junior, and if you're in, in that position where you're thinking, hey, is this the right you know type of position for me? I, I definitely uh, you know echo everything. I love the piece about mentorship. I think mentorship is huge. And honestly, if you're a senior recruiter and you're looking about how you can like give back to people, I honestly just think like finding junior recruiters and giving that value back and, uh, but then also having that mindset of like, you can always learn it as well. So, so much good stuff there. And uh, again, appreciate both of, of your time. And uh, where's the best place for people to get a hold of you? Is uh, obviously LinkedIn and I'll put your profiles uh, down, but anywhere else that you're active as well on, on social? Oh gosh, I don't know about uh, Natalie, but I don't really do social media. Uh, I don't <laughs> LinkedIn or social media. It's like really a, a job tool. Uh, but yeah, very well said, Joe. And I think one other thing I wanted to add about like mentorship is agency can get you amazing and great mentorship. Mm -hmm. Like I think the reason Natalie is so successful here is due to her stint at an agency. So I know it gets a bad a bad rap sometimes, but I also value my own agency years. The three years were so fundamental of me understanding how to succeed in tough environments that I really look for that when hiring recruiters. Like I know some people like, like to look for big brands or corporate environments. I actually look for people with agency pasts and that's how Natalie and I actually met up. But yeah, LinkedIn would be probably preferred for me. How about you, Natalie? LinkedIn, absolutely. And if you are interested in a position at Vidaya, you can also check out our website, which is just Vidaya, B-I-D-E-A dot A-I. Um, or just type in Vidaya Health and you'll find us there too. 
Um, and you can definitely get in touch with Patong and I through our website as well. But LinkedIn is probably preferred. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll drop that link to uh, to the career site as well. Um, hey guys, I really appreciate it. Again, it was awesome having two people, um, you know, as opposed to uh, to one that I'm usually used to. And I think I've got a couple of other episodes coming up where we're going to do something similar. So just awesome to kind of hear different sides of, of the equation. Um, and then Natalie, I was going to say too, like a lot of people ask me uh, about like how to transition from other career fields into recruitment. And so um, I don't know, just a personal encouragement. Like if you're putting out content or you're thinking about putting out content, like that type of content, like how to make the transition is really, really helpful. So, you know, anytime you can post about that sort of stuff, I just know like, particularly like teaching social work, like a lot of people want to move into recruiting and they just don't know how. So uh, cool. I, I wish I could have asked more questions around that, but uh, I think all the insight you guys brought was just, you know, really, really helpful, really, really valuable. Uh, and I see we've um, you know had quite a few viewers as well. So Queen, Kate, Stephanie, Ben, uh, Michael, Mohammed, Christina. Really appreciate all of you guys out there. Adriana, Rosilia, Zachariah, Danielle, and guys. I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna actually be out next week, but then the week afterward we'll have another guest. So stay tuned. And I think we're coming up to episode 10 next week. So I'm actually gonna be repurposing all of these episodes. So you're going to be able to find them on iTunes and Spotify. So if you go to my profile, I've got a link tree on there to all my social profiles. I'm going to be adding this podcast on there soon. So if you want more episodes like this from people who are experienced in tech recruiting and startup world, uh, this is the podcast for you and the, the live stream. So I appreciate everyone out there. Again, Natalie, Patar, I really appreciate your time. And uh, we will hopefully uh, talk again in the future. I'm going to have you guys just hang out for one second while I just end sure. this broadcast. All right.